Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. Shane Van Gisbergen was a double winner on the streets of Townsville. Both races had thrilling finishes. On Saturday, Van Gisbergen had to hunt down Will Davison for victory. And on Sunday, he was the hunted and was spun at the very last corner by Anton Di Pasquale. Anton crossed the line first but was penalised for the contact, which elevated Van Gisbergen back into first. Tyler Everingham and Declan Fraser took a Super 2 win each, while the Carrera Cup wins went to Luke Yulden, Jackson Walls and Callum Hedge. Tony Quinn, meanwhile, crashed heavily in the first Porsche race and was left with a broken leg, ribs and a punctured lung. We wish him a speedy recovery. Dick Johnson Racing is facing a change in ownership structure. Current co-owners Ryan Story and Dick Johnson are working towards a buy-in with a strategic partner. We'll have more on that later in the pod. Team 18 is growing confident that it can find the right co-driver to replace James Golding. Team owner Charlie Swerkolt believes the slot alongside Scott Pye is the best left on the Bathurst 1000 grid, and some left field options have been floated. And Tickford Racing has locked in Snowy River Caravans as the primary backer of James Courtney's car for the remainder of the season. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that knows how to turn on a hard tyre, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you, my friend? G'day, Andrew. Don't try to trap me into talking about tyres straight up here. I know it's your favourite topic, but people are sick of <laughs> hearing about them. <laughs> we heard plenty about them on the weekend. You it love was... talking tyres and you love talking travel stories of woe. How was your trip back from Townsville? Uh, it was great. Townsville and Perth are so close to each other. It was really easy. Um they are a very long way away from me. Not helped by the fact that when we arrived in Perth, there was no ground staff to uh, bring the aero bridge over, and then it took nearly an hour for our bags to pop out. Air travel is just a little bit complicated at the moment. But, yeah, Perth and Townsville, not close. I am just can't wait for that trip to New Zealand later in the year. That one's going to be a, a real fun one from this side of the country. Anyway, let's crack into a Townsville debrief. I feel like we're burying the lead if we start anywhere else except the very end of race two. It looked to be a fairly tame race at the front for most of that second race, a typically sort of controlled Van Gisbergen performance, but it turned into mayhem on the final lap. Turns out SVG wasn't managing his rubber and trying to back Anton up in that third stint like he so often does in those situations. He was actually genuinely struggling for grip, and Anton was genuinely in the game. I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, Anton went the big dive bomb at that last corner and tipped Giz into a spin. He then tried to redress, but Giz purposely wouldn't pass him to ensure that Anton was penalised for the incident. Um, he was penalised, but it was only a five-second penalty, so he retained 
Second place, obviously, Giz's little ploy in his head was hoping that maybe he'd get a 15-second penalty and drop down a few spots, and that would give um, his points lead a bit of a boost. Um, there was a bit of tension in the TV pen afterwards where Anton tried to apologize, and, and SVG blanked him pretty hard. Um, Stefan, there's a few points to cover off here. Let's start with the move itself from Anton. We know he didn't pull it off, but surely we can't be too critical of him having a go, particularly when we are often so critical of guys not racing gears as hard as they potentially should. Well, for sure. I think um, everybody that wasn't getting turned around in that move would have uh, <laughs> would have enjoyed seeing it. Like, I, I yeah. do think some of the criticism of drivers not racing Shane hard enough has been a bit unfair because Shane does usually have that late tyre advantage, normally due to strategy. And so, as you say, this time it was the other way around. And it was a surprise. Like, I also thought that Shane was just managing it. And then with a couple yeah. of laps to go, when he just tried to ask a bit more out of it, like you saw him like start to lose the rear into turn two. And it's like, oh, yeah. hang on. He's actually yeah. at the limit here. This is all he's got. So, yeah, I think it was great that Anton had a crack. We uh, we love to see it. Like, full marks for for effort and ambition, but probably uh, pretty close to a zero for execution. Right? That was... He said it was half on, but that wasn't really on, was it? I was going to ask you about that. Like, he did say it was half on. He said, oh, if I hadn't nipped the brakes so early in the stopping phase, you know, maybe I would have stopped. We do have a one-on-one chat with Giz coming up, and his reaction to to that sort of theory from 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 Anton is, is, is quite amusing. But, um, yeah, I think it was probably a little bit too much. But, again, I just feel like we'd be sitting there, yeah, sort of disappointed if he didn't try it. I don't know. It was definitely wishful thinking from Anton, but I just can't escape the feeling that I'm glad he tried it. Like it really, it, it, it turned that race into something that it otherwise wouldn't have been in terms of a spectacle, I think. And let's face it, that we'll get on the format later, but it's a slow burn. Do you think it was a bit wishful thinking from Anton try, trying it? Oh, yeah. But again, like also the way uh, Shane, like he really uh, tipped it in late there. Like he left the door massively open, didn't expect yeah. it at all. Um, yeah. And because he had been struggling with the left rear a little bit, like obviously that's where all the load is coming out of those last two corners. So Anton just got that a little bit more on him. And, um, yeah, it uh, it tempted Anton into doing it. But I think like the amazing part for, the, for me with the way it played out was the fact that Shane for once was in the weak position. He was genuinely vulnerable. Yeah. And, but from the moment of that point of contact – Everything was on Shane's terms. Like Anton's then desperately trying to give the spot back and Shane like denies him the ability to do that. And then Anton's trying to shake hands and Shane's just like denying him the ability to do that. And it's just like, yep. it, and that wasn't like an emotional dramatic thing. It was just like this real I'll deal with you later kind of brush off. It just feels like no matter what the scenario, Shane comes out as this this alpha male of the of the pack. It's it's like it's just so cool and so calculated, and that's the thing that got me the presence of mind to not just blaze past Anton to cross the line first, and the emotional control to to to, to manage his adrenaline enough after a contact like that, and make the calculation that a penalty might work better for him than a redress and crossing the line first. I mean, the adrenaline would be just pumping in that moment. That 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 is so remarkably difficult to do to manage it in that way um, and just shows – I mean, we, we spend so much time 
talking about what a freak of nature the guy is. And this is just the ultimate example of how far ahead of driving the car is, even when the car is difficult, and how in control of almost every situation that he is to make that decision. Like it is, it is phenomenal. Uh, I have to say, I was a little confused with his messaging after the race because he kept sort of trying to say, I'm really angry about this, but I'm glad he had a go, but I'm really angry about it still. Um, it was a little bit confusing. Um, he did defend the five-second penalty in the end, so I think the the fifth – you know, the, he was obviously hoping for a bigger penalty or hoping that, you know, um, Anton, they were going to slow down enough that Cam was going to at least sneak – the Cam Waters mm. was going to sneak between them. But he did say, look, we need to – we can't penalise guys for having a go. This is what we want them to happen. What did you make of the whole sort of post-race thing, even into the press conference where there was a fair bit of – I don't know, tension's the wrong word, but it was sort of mixed messages from Giz. Oh, yeah, I guess he doesn't want to be uh, be seen as the whinger when someone else is trying to race him. So that's kind of that's kind of the way he played it, but it was pretty clear that he thought the move was uh, not uh, not a high-quality move. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> yeah, like, and I was talking about him being the alpha male, but, like, it, it also makes him the, the villain, like um, he, he plays that villain so well with some of those those crafty things like not taking the redress. But yeah. it, it's important to like spell out the fact that the redress is not in the rules. It's like not officially yeah. Yeah. part of the process. So it's yeah. one of those things where it's in the hands of the drivers and then it's taken into account by the officials when they're deciding to hand out a penalty. So all that changed obviously at the end of 2016 off the back of that uh, famous incident at Bathurst. Yeah where uh, Jamie uh, went down the uh, the move was on um, line that uh, keeps getting trotted out to this day but I think I think for me it, it highlighted why the redress probably shouldn't be part of it because it just yeah. creates mess and even with the way like um, so so Mark Fenning was flat out on the radio uh, the poor bloke just filling in for one round for Ludo um, coming out of that last corner to Anton saying, redress, redress, redress. And Anton lifts off and he's got Thomas Randall like right up behind him. Like, he could yeah. have been nailed by Thomas as well because there was there was lap cars all in the mix there. And, yeah, it just creates these situations that um, that are quite awkward. I mean, he was never not going to get penalised for it, right? So I don't mean for this to sound like a massive stretch, but maybe you just need to blaze across the line as fast as possible. Like, you know... It was the equivalent of a cricketer walking when they haven't been given out when they've known they've <laughs> nicked it. Like, you know, you could also just cross the line and go, well, look, there's stewards here to sort this out. This And it probably will get sorted out. But he really sort of started to put himself in danger of that time penalty costing him more positions than it needed to as well. I mean, I would think you just go, well, let's just cross the line. There is no redress anymore. There's no obligation to do that. It's not going to necessarily help me in any way. They could still penalise him even if he redresses. Because at the end of the day, the redress doesn't cancel out the contact. So I would have just blazed across the line as fast as possible. You never in know. Terms of, in terms of sending a message uh, to Shane in terms of aggression and all that, it would have been uh, a lot stronger if he'd uh, turned him and then blazed to the flag. Gone, but, gone, gone, to, gone yeah. to turn two and just done a massive burnout as well. That would have been uh, – <laughs> that would have really – because, they want to really send a message. Because actually, speaking of turn two, like what all this did actually was take the focus away from the thing that decided the race, and that was that first pit stop cycle where yeah. um, Shane had pitted one lap earlier um, and in the cycle had ended up in front then of Anton. And like particularly Mark Scaife in commentary gave DJR a real baking for their strategy 
and the fact that um, I think they put in like one second less fuel than than Triple Eight had, um, and it wasn't enough to keep the lead. But yeah, for me, like DJR did get their car out of the pit lane and to the turn two apex ahead of Shane. Mm-hmm. So sure, he's on a cold tire, so he's a bit compromised. But and this is easy to say, but I just feel like if the drivers were in the other position there, Shane's probably going to hold that at the turn two apex and the other car totally. doesn't get around him. Like that's Couldn't where the whole, yeah, the the racing Shane. And we saw an outlap battle between Cam and Shane at Winton as well. And that was yep. the race that Shane actually won. So, yeah, it, it's one thing to, to give him a hit or something like that at the last corner, but it's those clutch moments where Shane still got it over them, I reckon. That is that is absolutely right, um, and Shane knows that's exactly the point in which he won the race. As I mentioned before, I did have a chat with uh, with Shane after Sunday's second race, where we actually sort of covered that off as well. So um, yeah, let's have a listen. So we've seen you manage the tyres so well. Generally, what changed today? So we just tuned it a little bit, and it gave it a lot more front, which is what I did need yesterday. But it took away rear, so yeah. I could see that on the hard tyre. He really was struggling for turn, and yep. I could turn inside him, and, but couldn't pass him. I yep. drove up to him in the first and but couldn't get through. But um, I think that's what killed it. I could just feel a little bit of slide on the soft, and that that's all it takes. Like every yep. lap, just a little bit, every corner. I could feel it was rotating from the rear, not the front, and yep. that's what hurt it. And, um, yeah, I was cruising. I was just managing the gap, yep. looking at two seconds, and then um, he tried to push. And I tried to re- respond, and then that's when I felt, oh, I got nothing. And he really drove up to me then. There was a lot of focus, obviously, on what happened at the last corner, for obvious reasons. Yeah. But there was a moment after the first round of stops where you got yep. by him, when he yep. had actually popped out in front of you. How yep. critical was that track position? That's what won the race, 100%. Yeah. Like, um, I had a really good outlap. I got to turn two and turned in, and I had huge grip already, so I went, shit, got to push. And then at turn three, they said he's in the lane. Yeah. And, yeah, I just went flat out. And I hate doing that on a cold tyre because it damages it. Yeah. But you got to do it to get clear air. And then I got in front and pulled five seconds, and that's that's what got us the, the race. I have to ask you about it. He said, yeah. Anton said in the broadcast that if he hadn't nipped the tyre, he reckons the move was half on and that he <laughs> potentially uh, could have made it stick. You obviously don't, don't agree with do that. Do you? <laughs> not necessarily, yeah, but I'm exactly. asking the questions, not answering it. <laughs> uh, nah, I think he summed it up in the press conference. He made the error. Yeah. But, you know, you, I know you've said this a couple of times, but it's good to see that, right? I mean, yeah. the sport needs stuff like that to happen. That's what that's yeah. going to be on the news tonight, whereas... Yeah, I, I guess so. Reason, you know? Yeah, I'd love to see more racing if he was closer and had a proper dive, yeah. but he harpooned me from five car lens back. But I appreciate that he had a go, because normally he wouldn't. Another bit of controversy from Sunday's race was the first lap clash, Stefan, between Scott Pye and Will Davison. Um, I've got to say, I think Scott Pye needs to put his hand up and just accept fault for that one. Charlie Schwerkold even said uh, during the broadcast that it was a racing incident, which generally means, you know, if a team owner is saying that's a racing incident, what it actually translates to is my guy didn't quite get that right because they'll generally be overly defensive of their guy, understandably, I guess. But that was a remarkable comeback from Davison from there, given the fact he was off the track and then in the pit lane and dead last by who knows how much. I mean, he he missed out on um, on Saturday's race win. You know, he did get run down uh, by Gears Triple Eight. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty shrewd with the, with the strategy for that middle stint in terms of overfueling the car. But 
he's going so well, isn't he, Stefan, for a bloke at the stage of his career that he's at? Yeah, I think with with the incident there, it's also a telltale when uh, like Scotty Pye didn't appear on the TV, did he at all afterwards? Yeah. So that's yeah. probably not not that it was a heinous act by any means. No, 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 was, no, no, no. It was no. unfortunate. He clobbered the curb, and then just Davo didn't end up with enough room on the exit. And the yeah. fact that um, Will ended up in the in the wall then as well, like, and he said afterwards he had steering damage on the car, which. Um, Either it was very light steering damage, or that's pretty scary for all the blokes he blows past during the race. But yeah. um, or maybe it's a setup. Maybe it's a demon setup tweak that they didn't know they could do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oh, surely, like they just literally can't replace him for twenty twenty three. DJR, like he's just done everything right this year, and like his qualifying speed is what's been the most impressive for me. And that's the sort of thing that at this point of his career you could imagine it tapering yeah, away a bit. bit. Goes, yeah. Especially yeah. with Anton there, like, um, but he's, he's Will is ahead twelve eight in the head to head quality for this year. Like he's genuinely, genuinely beating him on in the qualities. So um, yeah, they, they just have to keep him. There's absolutely no option there. I, I, that that is that is what is going to happen. I'll tell you right now. I mean, the, the the good intel right now is that Will Davison will retain that seat uh, for another couple of years, and I think that that the team has to do that. I think it would be. It has it has the luxury of being able to do that. Will's got two more good years in him at least. There's just no question about that. He really wants to stay and that is, from what I believe, based on conversations over the weekend, exactly what, what is going to happen, which I think is 100% the right move um, for the team. I think that bringing someone with less experience who may be very, very fast in right now against Anton, who is still finding his feet and establishing himself as team leader material. And as you say, you point out the fact that he's not – He's not head and shoulders above Davison. He's actually, you know, particularly on that single lap pace, not quite there at the moment. Um, you'd actually be sort of weakening the lineup um, in the short term. So, yeah, I think I think they have to keep him, and I think that they definitely will keep him. Um, let's have a chat about formats. I mean, both races had their interest. There's no doubt about that. They did prove to be fascinating contests at the end. But boy, oh boy, did it take a long time to get there. I sort of, I just can't help but wonder if there's a faster way to kind of get to the good bit of these races. The mixed compound thing was kind of interesting, I guess. Um, although by Sunday, we sort of saw basically everyone doing the same thing. Um, what we kind of did see was some deg on the super soft, which we haven't necessarily seen. You know, Davo's tyres were really cooked by the end of Saturday's race. Um, Shane had those issues on Sunday. On both days, we saw Cam Waters kind of purposely be really kind to the tyre early in his super soft stint, even at the expense of track position, and then had the grip to work his way back right at the finish. You know, given the super soft was doing a little bit um, and guys were getting different results from the same tyre in terms of how how they managed the tyre, I wonder if we wouldn't have been better just running on that tyre, perhaps in, you know, 200k races instead of 250s. I don't know. What, what did you make of the formats? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like, I just love watching supercars racing, so I don't like beating up on the formats too much. But yeah, that hard tire is just just no good. Like, it's yeah. the it's the tire you make when uh, you don't want it to blow up at the high speed tracks. But did we need it yeah. in Townsville? Oh, don't know. Like, drivers just have no confidence to, to make moves on it. And then you yeah. end up with, yeah, the last end of those races were quite good. But as you say, it was such a slow burn to to get there. 
And yeah, you, you zoom out a little bit more and like the big issue it's got as a product. And I especially think this because it's a, it's a Channel 7 race, like it's got that free-to-air audience as well, that yeah. it's just two hours of dudes talking about tyres and fuel. Like yeah. they've got to ditch that fuel drop. I don't understand why uh, it's still there from a sporting perspective when it was introduced to, uh, to help the uh, four-valve, uh, the Nissan and the Mercedes when they were struggling with economy early on. But it's just even just the optics of yeah. people talking about dumping 140 litres oh, of no, fuel. I know. Yeah. This yeah. is 2022. I don't know if we can be afford to be to be talking that way. I, I, I could not agree more. And I had that very conversation with somebody on Sunday morning. It is not good to be talking about dropping or dumping huge amounts of fuel that don't even need to be used. Like it's it really it does not fit in with any we are going to face environmental challenges um and it's just so out of kilter with 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 that whole notion that it makes zero sense they definitely they definitely need to get rid of it what so you don't have any suggestions for how to improve that format apart from dropping the fuel dump it's 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 a tough one i was thinking about this because like Partway through Sunday, I was like, um, just thinking like these 250k races aren't really that great. It's not a great format. And then you're like, wait a minute, like the Adelaide 500 used to be the best thing getting about. Like, yeah, what's what's changed? And it's it's kind of just comes back to the fact that everything is is so close now um, in terms of equipment, but also drivers not really making mistakes and yeah. all that sort of thing. There's only really the tires and fuel that you can add as variables to try yeah. to mix it up. So yeah, we had one safety car, we had one safety car from two races yeah. on the first lap of the second race. Like, yeah, crazy. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's probably a bit more to, uh, to analyze out of all of it, but, um, the, the bottom line summary is I'm not really convinced that Gen 3 with a bit less aero is really going to fix everything when it comes to the racing product. Yeah, no, that is um, that is definitely a concern, particularly as we move to more and more controlled things. But anyway, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens next year. i tell you what, if it was sort of fairly tame in terms of, um, you know, big shunts and stuff in, at supercars level, there was plenty going on at supports level. There was a few... Um, Few Porsches looking pretty worse for wear by the end of the weekend, and um, it's probably good there are some new Super Two cars flowing down soon because I think a few guys will need new ones of those after some okay shunts uh, in Super Two and Super Three on the weekend as well. Tyler Everham's uh, miscalculation at the start of the second race was a beauty. I don't think Matt Payne quite saw that one coming, um, and Matt Jarda had a really good weekend um, as well, quite timely off the back of his wildcard announcement recently for the Bathurst One Thousand. So that was uh, that was cool to see. I tell you who was watching the Super Two races like a hawk, and that was that was Charlie Schwerkolt from Team Eighteen. Obviously, one of the side effects of the Jacobson Golding swap at Premier Racing is that Team Eighteen now needs a new co-driver to partner Scott Pye for the Bathurst One Thousand. Um, Interestingly, one of their first calls was to Earl Bamber, um, the Kiwi sports car and GT ace. Uh, we've seen him at Bathurst before. He was interested, but a scheduling clash put paid to any hopes um, of a deal there. I, I spoke to Charlie in Townsville um, in, in a fair bit of detail about their plans, and, and he's he's now very much focused on Australian-based talent. Um, in fact, we, we were actually talking during the first Super 2 race and he said, hey, can we just stand here near a screen so I can keep an eye on what's going on here? Um, there was a fair bit of chat that that Everingham is well and truly in the frame for that seat, although I'm not sure what Charlie would have made of that race to start. Um, it, it's sort of interesting to look at the youth versus experience 
situation and it is one that the team is grappling with. You know, you can have exciting young talent and it's a great story, but there's a risk that comes with it or you can go with sort of a, a safe set of experienced hands. Um, but either way, it sort, of, it sort of feels like that the team wants to use this as an opportunity to not just plug a gap for the sake of it all because they have to, but actually, you know, try and try, try and maybe even strengthen their position heading to Bathurst. They don't feel they're in any real rush because Charlie's very confident they have the best seat left uh, on offer. In terms of who is still on the market, there's the likes of Everingham. Jaden Ojeda is yet to sign a deal anywhere. Luke Yulden, 2017, Bathurst 1000 winner. Cameron Hill. And, you know, there's Gary Jacobson as well, who has a lot of very relevant recent experience who um, who could well feature on the market as well. Stefan, if you're running Team 18, who are you sticking in that car? It's, a, it's an interesting one. There's uh, that really diverse array of options that you, that you point out. It's a shame that Bambi didn't come off for them. That would have been a great uh, break glass uh, in case of emergency kind of option. Yeah. Um, yeah. You would think that Gary Jacobson is a pretty logical phone call for anyone with a uh, seat spare, well, except Premier, obviously. Um, but, yeah, just whether he's in the headspace for it and all of that's probably – a question. I think yeah. for me, I I just go to the draft, which is which is super two, the young driver draft. Yeah. So, and you look at that, and Cameron Hill sitting P two in the points without a co drive. Obviously, his teammate Declan Fraser is uh, leading the series, and he's got that wild card with Triple Eight and Craig Lowndes. But Cameron Hill is there driving a Triple Eight car for Triple Eight, so there's a decent little synergy there with. Team 18 being a customer team, what would count against Cameron is it's still so early in his supercars journey. Yeah, uh, It's his first year in Super 2. But like you look at Brock Feeney and in 2020 when he got a top 10 at Bathurst with James Courtney at Tickford, he'd only done three Super 2 rounds before then. So yeah. it's sort of, yeah, it's it's that it requires that mature approach from, from a young person. But I think if you put him in there with, you know, Richard Holway engineering that car and you create the right environment and make sure he knows what his role is. I would like to think that with the experience that Cameron does have in Kura Cup and, you know, winning the Bathurst six hour and all that sort of stuff, you probably don't need him to be making overtakes for the lead at, uh, at Skyline like you did in that race. But um, yeah. I, I really hope that he does get a seat somewhere. I, I think, I actually think you're really onto something there. I think he would be, he's a good choice because, like, he also runs a race team. Like, he understands, I think that the concept of, here's what we need you to do. This is what's important in the context of our team. Won't be lost on him at all because he runs a race team. He understands that. He's not going to be like, well, I better send it up the inside of someone like Lounsey did and make a name for myself. Otherwise, I'm never going to get anywhere. I think he is more than sensible enough to understand, um, you know, the bigger picture when it comes to a race like that. So, yeah, I think he would definitely be a, um, a very good choice and I think you make some very good points about that. Um, before we do get off the topic of Super 2 and Super 3, I actually have a question for you, Stefan. So we know the Gen 2 cars are coming into Super 2 next year. Um, if you didn't have the budget to buy a Mustang or a ZB, but you had the budget to run in Super 2 with a VF or an FGX or Super 3 with a front-running Super 3 car, what would you do? Do you go, well, I'll be mid-pack in Super 2, or do you go for the Super 3 trophy? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call and it's probably a little situation dependent, but um, certainly Super 2 is going to be difficult for anybody without a Gen 2 car next year, yeah. I think. Um, and Townsville actually gave a great little preview of that 
because it was a rare um, occurrence where both uh, Supercars Championship and Super 2 were qualifying on a hard tyre and they had the sessions back-to-back in the mornings. So you could actually look at the look at the performance of those Gen 2 cars versus the current Super 2 cars and get a decent read on it. And so, like, you looked at the fastest Mustang quality time was a 113.0, and then the FGX, the VF, and the Altima in Super 2 were all 14.1, 14.2. So you've got to yeah. apply a bit of driver parity to that as well. Sure. So it's yeah. not quite a full second. But, you know, even on Friday in that in that presser, like Shane Van Gisbergen was asked about whether the uh, main game teams would be looking at at that Super 2 session coming up just before uh, main game quality for any information. And he just like flat out said, oh, no, it's irrelevant because the aero is so different. Yeah, and exactly. so anyone trying to sell you the dream that uh, the aero is actually all was based off the same benchmark for all these car of the future cars and it should be all paratized all right for Super 2 is uh, is kidding it. So uh, no, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. So so there's I mean, all that but but you can you can stand out in the old model of car in Super 2 though. It's not like having like everyone's got a VF but yours has got like 15 year old front uprights in it. Like the fact that it's so clear you're in the old model means that um, yeah, you can really shine, just like at the moment, Kai Allen in the Super 3 VE. Yeah. Um, yeah, fighting with Super 2 guys, you can make a real hero of yourself that way as well. That's true. And, I mean, an Altima is probably not a bad choice um, next season. I mean, it's a good choice this season. It has been for a while. But, you know, at least they were kind of homologated against the Mustang and the ZB, although they weren't very successful against the Mustang and ZB. So there's um, there's sort of two ways to look at that, I suppose. I guess the other sort of thing, you know, I, 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 my understanding is that there is going to be like a separate, you know, VA Touring Cars um, championship next year as well on the Speed Series bill. So if you were running Super 3, you could actually, if they end up um, basically running, you know, similar spec across those two categories, you could do a lot of laps um, if you were running a um, – if you were running – a Super 3 spec car next season. So I guess that's maybe something else you consider if you were weighing up uh, those options. But, yeah, it's certainly going to be interesting to see how it all sort of shakes out. And, again, it depends where you're at. But um, Super 3s are open testing still, isn't it? So if you want to just do bulk miles and you can uh, do two series and do a fair bit of testing, then uh, then you'd be Well, you, I don't think you're allowed to test at a circuit just before you race there as um, – as a certain uh, a certain it, team found out just before Barbagallo this year or Wanneroo this year, but anyway, doesn't help your super license. No, I don't, I don't believe it does. Uh, okay, speaking of that sort of uh, that sort of world, um, there are, there's some pretty big news in team ownership land kicking about at the moment, Stefan. This is a pretty tenuous link here, um, but you know whatever. Um, there's been speculation that Dick Johnson Racing is in the market for a new co-owner for quite some time now, and I finally managed to lock down our uh, joint good mate Dr. Ryan story to have a bit of a chat about it. That was off the back of rumours of a deal getting louder and louder in Townsville. Now, the doc told me there's nothing formal in place right now, but he did freely admit that the team is open and looking for a new strategic partner. He really stressed that it's not a cash grab. They're not looking for an investor because they need money. They want someone who can contribute to making the team better um, in a sporting sense, in a business sense, and ideally in both of those senses, uh, much like the situation that they had with Team Penske. Um, Stefan, you've always got your ear to the ground, so I'm sure this doesn't come as any any great surprise. What do you make of this sort of plan to sell a stake in the team? 
Yeah, obviously, uh, we've known that it's been bubbling away in the background for a little while. And I think the thing to come out of uh, your chat with, with the doctor and um, and your story this week was that it doesn't look like it's a, it's a complete sellout, which was some of the fear early on that yeah. maybe we might actually lose DJR, um, which yeah, would have obviously, goes without saying, that would be... Uh, a massively sad day for the sport if that happens. So, um, yeah, they're looking for someone who can come and value add, someone with experience in business and uh, and or the sporting sphere. So, yeah, there's a few names being chucked around in the background or with, with interest in other sports. We should probably let it play out a little bit more before we dive into some of those. But um, it doesn't look like they're, they're not after a motorsport replacement for Penske. You know, it's... It's not um, like they're trying to directly replace Penske with another US powerhouse or anything like that. This no. is this is a little bit different. All right, let's take a look at what's been happening around the world. Uh, Charles Leclerc jumped sprint race winner Max Verstappen to win the Austrian Grand Prix despite a sticking throttle late in the race. Verstappen finished second and Lewis Hamilton third. Carlos Sainz was in the hunt for the podium but suffered an engine failure. Daniel Ricciardo finished ninth. Marcus Armstrong and Logan Sargent won the F2 races and Jack Crawford and Isaac Hadjar won the F3 races in Austria. And in the States, Chase Elliott won the NASCAR Cup Series race in Atlanta. All right, Stefan, it's Castrol mailbag time. Uh, this week, Nathan Dawson asked whether, given we have either three or four wildcards for the Bathurst 1000, um, whether Blanchard Racing Team will share a pit boom or stay single for that race. I did ask Timmy B the question, uh, and he confirmed that the team will run their own boom for the great race. Um, Stefan, BRT really is in a bit of a spot with this single car situation, isn't it? I mean, there's there's just no way to move up the field with the way the team's points are structured uh, in the situation that they are in unless they can tie up with someone else. Um, I do think that, you know, Tim would li- love to see an average system of some kind brought into the points to try and make that fairer. But, geez, it's going to be a tough job convincing the other teams to hand over what is a very clear advantage, right? Yeah, the whole thing's structured around a, a two-car model or at least pairs of cars. Um, that's both the pit lane and, and the team's championship. So if there are if there are a lot of teams, a lot of single-car teams in this situation, it's probably a, at least a conversation, but I really don't see the the model changing anytime soon. So it's it's a struggle there for, uh, for Blanchard and even just getting good people has been a problem for that team. So uh, I hope they can uh, they can build it and potentially one day go to two cars themselves. All right, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. Uh, Stefan, who's your star this week, my friend? There were a few contenders this week, and I'm glad you covered off uh, Matt Charter in the main body there because he definitely deserves a shout-out. But uh, I'm going with Clay Richards, who took his first Toyota 86 Series race win on Sunday in yep. Townsville. Awesome to see a third-generation driver kicking some goals. And I'm a bit biased because we're currently doing a Jim Richards book here at V8 Sleuth, but they're such a great family. And actually, Jim Richards was at Winton on Sunday watching another one of his grandsons, Jet, make his race debut in an XL. And then on Monday, Steve turned 50. So uh, I'm giving the giving the whole clan a wrap here now. But, uh, yeah, great to see Clay uh, get that win. 
I was going to mention uh, Steve Richard's 50th birthday, a fine Castrol man. I think it's uh, definitely mm. worth pointing out and happy birthday to him. Uh, my star of the week this week has a bit of a Bartholomew's feel to it, to be honest. I'm sort of taking a taking a page out of uh, – Take a page out of the Bartholomew's star finding. Book. Here we go. I'm going to go. Go. I'm gonna go, <laughs> I'm gonna go with whoever at Triple Eight decided to send uh, Robert Van Gisbergen up onto the podium on Sunday after Shane's win. That this was the first time since since the pandemic that the Big Cheese has got to a supercars race, and um, and it was it was a very very nice touch. Um, he and Shane are very close, and I think it was quite a touching moment uh, for Shane as well. And he referenced it in the in the press conference how nice that was, and what a surprise that was. So. That's where my star is going this time around. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication and so much more for all sorts of makes, models and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.